Today's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 45:10-17, which is which you can find in your pew Bibles on page 517. Hear, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your people in your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty, since he is your lord. Bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the riches of the people with all kinds of wealth. The princess is decked in her chamber with gold woven robes, and many colored robes she has led to the king. Behind her the virgins, her companions follow. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In the place of ancestors you, O king, shall have sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be celebrated in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. I must say that it's not uh, easy to follow the youth of this church. As some of you know, uh, last Sunday we participated in what is becoming an annual uh, uh, tradition here, a youth-led worship service. And so the youth of our church sang and they prayed and they led us in what I thought was one of the best uh, services of the year. Uh, But the youth also spoke. Uh, Six members of the confirmation class this year, there were 14 in all, which I think is reason enough to celebrate right there. But six of them were willing to stand uh, up here and read their testimonies, which they were asked to write as part of their confirmation process. And I don't know what you thought, but uh, to me... Uh, what they said took my breath away. Uh, they were honest in a way that most of us are, are, are just not able to be honest. Uh, maybe we were when uh, we were their age, but somehow the years have robbed us of the ability to look honestly at ourselves. Uh, our youth spoke about the disappointments in their lives, which I think takes courage. How many of us would be willing to stand up here on a a Sunday morning and say anything at all about personal failure? Right? They spoke about their doubts when it comes to faith, and not many of us uh, dare to do that. Uh, When we're with other Christians, uh, we think that what we're supposed to do is to be all brave and and self-confident about our faith, uh, when that's simply not true. And uh, the youth spoke about the humility that they feel right at the beginning point of their uh, uh, Christian pilgrimage. And I don't hear much of that from the rest of us. So what we heard last week was breathtaking. And to be honest with you, it's tough to follow that. All week long, I felt as though I should uh, raise my game just a a, a little bit. Uh, In any case, thank you uh, to our youth uh, uh, for leading us last week. Thank you to Sam and, and our youth leaders. Uh, for the time that they give to the youth of this church. In in many ways, what our youth did last week uh, leads perfectly into what I would like to do this morning. Uh, What I want to do, and and I want uh, to continue this for the next two Sundays, is to take a look with you at the heart of Paul's letter uh, to the Romans, chapters 7 and 8. And uh, I don't mean to say that the rest of the letter is unimportant. Uh, In fact, it's one of the most important books in the entire Bible. Uh, But chapters 7 and 8 are in many ways the hinge uh, on which the entire gospel moves. 
And unless you get this, uh, unless you fully understand this, you don't get what the gospel is about. Uh, If you could only take one chapter of the Bible with you to a a desert island, uh, most people, I think, would choose Romans chapter 8, okay, maybe Psalm 23, uh, maybe one or two others, but Romans 8 is everything we believe. It's what we stake our lives on. And Romans 7, which we are looking at today, uh, prepares us to hear the good news that is contained in chapter 8. Over the years, and this may sound harsh to you, but uh, I think it's true, uh, so hear me out. Over the years, my experience has been that people, at least in the churches I've served over the years, uh, uh, have embraced the Christian faith and they've, they've joined the church and they become active in church life in order to become better people. The thing is, they were already good people before they joined us. I I hope you know what I mean by that. Uh, They were very good people, as a matter of fact. They had good educations and good incomes, and they were were all attractive people, and they were well-mannered, and they lived in the best neighborhoods, and they sent their children to the best schools. And frankly, uh, the churches I served along the way never attracted bad people or desperate people, or the people who had fallen so low that there was nowhere to go but up. Those people would not have felt welcome uh, among all the good people uh, in in our church, uh, all the good people who uh, came to the churches I served over the years. So what happened was that we attracted the finest people, and uh, for them, uh, coming to faith and getting active in the church was a way to I mean, what would you say? To, to make the resume stronger. Uh, to strengthen the CV. It, it, it made a, a good life seem even better. And what we find in Romans, chapter 7 and 8, is a devastating critique of that way of thinking. Actually, the first seven chapters, if we were to read them straight through, first seven chapters of Paul's letter contain a, a, a description of the human condition, and, and the picture there is not pretty. When Paul addressed the people in Rome, uh, he did not assume that they were all good people. Uh, It helped, I suppose, that he had not met them uh, previously. Uh, When he wrote this letter, he he wrote to them about the seriousness of the human condition and how desperate we all are. Uh, Already in the third chapter of this uh, letter, uh, Paul writes the famous words, uh, All have sinned. All and fallen short of the glory of God. So let's listen to a few of these verses from uh, chapter 7, and and then I want to reflect with you on on what our lives are really like when we are honest with ourselves. So uh, Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This too is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, do you find those words difficult to hear? I mean, do they make you feel uncomfortable at all? They should, because Paul is describing here the human condition in all of its wretchedness. And he gives it a label, and that label has fallen out of fashion. And that that word, of course, is sin. And you might be surprised to know that scholars are engaged in a a lively debate about these words. Actually, there are at least a couple of different debates going on. Uh, one, One debate is whether or not Paul is describing his own experience. So he never quite uh, gets so personal as this in other places. So these words seem jarring. And it's possible that Paul is describing here the condition of every believer. right? Every human being. And and he's conveniently using himself as uh, an example. Another issue that has received some lively discussion uh, or, or debate is whether Paul is writing about our lives before we come to faith in Christ. Or uh, whether he's describing uh, the constant struggles that go along with being a Christian. So I have my own opinion uh, about uh, both of those uh, arguments, and I would be glad to tell you what I think. But for now, uh, maybe it's enough to say that when people hear these words, and uh, when they read them and reflect on them, they see themselves in them. Paul is describing a situation we know well. So let's begin there. Uh, Paul describes accurately, in fact, uh, I think with a a devastating kind of accuracy, how much we struggle to be the people uh, we want to be and the people we know we should be and and the people we are called to be. I I mean, uh, we would be embarrassed. I'll just be honest, we would be ashamed if if other people knew our thoughts and, and our habits and the issues that we struggle with. And of course, as I mentioned, we work so hard and and we work at this night and day to assure ourselves and everyone around us that everything is just fine. When the truth is that everything is not just fine. Uh, Anyone in the world today who has an uh, internet connection knows that there are thousands and uh, maybe tens of thousands of remedies uh, for our problems, uh, self-help tricks that will get you through a, a tough time. Uh, life hacks that will turn you into a happier and friendlier and more effective person. And I confess that I am a sucker for these headlines. Uh, They are designed to to get me to click, and I click. Uh, So five things every effective leader should know. Well, if I don't read that, then I might not be an effective leader, so click. (laughs) Six ways that every entrepreneurial person starts the day. Well, I'm, I'm an entrepreneurial person. I can't pronounce the word, but I think I am. I should read that to make sure, so click. And on and on and on. Interestingly, I think this is interesting, the Apostle Paul does not begin there. 
And I know he was writing 2,000 years ago, and he did not have the benefit, if we can call it that, of the internet. But his thinking is worth paying attention to. His thinking or his logic is that first we need to diagnose the problem before we decide on, on the remedy and then click through to the latest gimmick. Uh, we need to know what the sickness is. And the sickness for Paul is this dreadful human condition known as sin. And until we face up to the awful situation we are in, we are not going to be made well. And it's just as simple as that. Before I say something about sin, I want to say where, something about where sin comes from. I've been a pastor long enough to know that people like to blame the devil for lots of things. So it's the devil who twists my thinking, and it's the devil who introduces a deceptive thought, and it's the devil who probes and, and, and looks for weaknesses in, in, in my armor. Well, I know those statements very well, and, and the truth is the Bible supports them. It's true. The, I mean, the devil who poked and probed Jesus' most, most vulnerable issues for 40 days and, and 40 nights in the wilderness is the same devil who's poking and probing my most vulnerable places every day. But there's more that can and should be said about this. There's a deeper way to understand this. What I want you to see today is Paul's insight that this struggle we face is actually a war within. That's how he puts it. What we face each day is a human condition that we were born into. Sin is so pervasive, according to Paul, that we can't avoid it. It has worked its way into our cell structure. I found a headline this week in a, a, a Christian humor magazine. You're going to be surprised that there are Christian humor magazines. Uh, but there are. And, and, and the headline was, a mother of two-year-old now embraces the doctrine of total depravity. I had to wait. Uh, I, <laughs> I thought that was funny because it's true. Right, and every parent of a two-year-old uh, will know that it's true. We were born into this. We cannot escape it, and it's now the state of things. Even two-year-olds are capable of mystifying behavior. We think, when we see it happen, we think, where did that come from? Uh, to use the old language uh, of the fall of Adam, everything fell in Adam. People and, and, and systems and, and all of creation. Sin entered the world, and if you think things are getting bad, or are bad and getting worse, then you're right. This is a fundamental uh, Christian belief. Uh, my point is that we need to agree on the diagnosis before we can find the remedy. Not long ago, I heard Rick Warren uh, uh, preach a sermon about this war within, uh, these things that we wrestle with, and, and these things that, that need, and and, and require God's intervention. And he called them uh, weapons of self-destruction. And uh, I can't approve on this list, so I'm going to give it to you. The commentary is mine. The list is, uh, is Rick Warren's. So the, uh, here we go. First, shame. Do you want to know what sin is or, or, or feels like? Then look no further than your sense of shame. We all feel bad about ourselves, some of us more than others, and if, if we let it, uh, we can get caught in a, a downward spiral of shame and we destroy ourselves and, and, and we destroy any chance at happiness in life and contentment and peace. 
shame is an awful thing, and, and, and sometimes, uh, you, you might be surprised to hear me say this, sometimes I wish certain people felt shame uh, over their behavior, so maybe there's a healthy shame uh, that we are supposed to feel, right? But what I have in mind right now is the unhealthy kind that uh, infects all of life, the kind that says, you know, I'm not very good. I, I will never amount to very much. I, I, I'm not as talented or, or, or good-looking or as smart or whatever it is as that person over there. And until we come to grips with our shame, we cannot live the life that God has in mind for us. Uh, second, our uncontrolled thoughts. You know, most of us are, are, have very active, uh, conscious minds. Uh, our brains are chattering all the time. I once heard this described as uh, monkey brain, which I hope is not insulting to, to monkeys. Uh, but the fact is that our minds are filled with thoughts and excess thoughts. And I would call them undisciplined thoughts. And, and often, for most of us, they are unhealthy thoughts. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but until we impose discipline on our minds, until we get our thoughts under control, until we are able to quiet our minds, we will never know the grace and peace that God has in mind for us. An undisciplined mind is an example of sin. Third, compulsions. I mean, call them habits, somehow that sounds better than compulsions. They call them inner drives, call them uh, impulses. Uh, until we learn to manage our compulsions, we are going to be caught up in a life that is anything but the life that God intends for us. When I hear people talk about this, their unhealthy habits, it's almost as though these habits have a life of their own. There it goes, did you see it again? Right? It's as though it's not a part of them. We convince ourselves that that behavior is not really us. We're better than that. And uh, it, it's this habit that has control of me. And do you know something? Uh, you're right. You are better than that. Your compulsion, your uh, unhealthy habit, whatever it is, is not really you. But right now, it has control of your life. And left untreated, it will take your life down. Paul's word for compulsion is sin. Uh, four, fear. You know, as with shame, uh, I, I suppose that there are actually some healthy forms of fear. Uh, I wanted my children to be afraid of certain things, like uh, hot stoves, for example. Uh, uh, my fear of failing an exam always kept me in the library at night when my friends were out uh, uh, having a good time. So fear uh, was a productive force sometimes uh, in my life. So some kinds of fear, as with some kinds of shame, can be healthy. But the fear I have in mind is the unhealthy kind, and the kind of fear that prevents us from living fully and from loving fully. So if you are uh, fearful of uh, rejection, you are never going to say to another person, I love you. Right? If you are afraid of failure, you are never going to know what it feels like to accomplish something truly exceptional. If you are afraid of public speaking, and just about everyone is, including me, so no one will ever know what, what God has put within you to say. 
We all have our fears and age, uh, sorry to disappoint you with this, uh, age does not lessen our fears. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Uh, age gives us new ones. Uh, age uh, uh, gives us more ominous ones. Uh, I'm afraid of things today and, and situations that never seem to frighten me in the past. And fear can be debilitating. Uh, fear uh, keeps us from being the people God intends for us to be. Fear, much of the time, is sin. Right? Don't mistake fear for good judgment. Don't mistake your fear for prudence. Right? Fear robs us of the joy that is available to each one of us. Fifth, hopelessness. This one is scary because uh, uh, loss of hope leads to discouragement and being discouraged leads to giving up. And uh, when you've given up, there is nothing left but death. Living without hope is a, a, a state of sin. Right? We're, we're, it's not where God intends us to be. It's not how God made us. But we are susceptible to us. And I mean every, every single one of us. Maybe you heard the expression, uh, first world problems. Uh, much of what gets us down, uh, I have to say, uh, is a first world problem. Every time I go to Paris, I get sick. Well, that's a first world problem. Uh, I've been without internet for two whole days. That's a first world problem. I don't know what triggers hopelessness in you, but most of the time, the problems we face are not as big as we think they are. They may seem big in the moment, and, and we may worry about uh, what tomorrow will bring. And so we easily just fall into hopelessness and then despair, and then we think that the world might be better off without us. That's not what God intends for us. Right? And so hopelessness is self-destructive and it is sin. And that leaves one more, sixth, bitterness. A life has not turned out as you planned. Right? You didn't expect to uh, be this age and, and, and what? Uh, still be single or uh, not having uh, completed your degree or, or, or still living with your parents? I mean, the list is long. If you want to know all the ways life has been unfair to me, I will tell you, you just have to set aside a few hours for that conversation. If you are anything like me, carrying around this, this list of grievances about life, uh, it, it, it takes a long time to explain. So here's what I want you to hear. Nothing eats away at our insides like bitterness. It starts out small and it, it, it burrows under the skin and then from there it travels and it, it, it metastasizes. Bitterness soon becomes our life story. It's our calling card. People see us coming and, and they know exactly what we're going to talk about. All the people who let us down in life and all the people who treated us badly and took advantage of us. And some of us carry around big signs. Very big signs around our neck that say, I have been treated unfairly. That's no way to live. That is not the life that God intends for any one of us. Right? And, and that is not what I would call spiritual health. And yet, that's where some of us are. So most of us, and, and uh, maybe all of us, are, are stuck in these self-destructive patterns and and habits and ways of living. 
And to paraphrase the Apostle Paul, wretched people that we are, who will rescue us from this body of death? And then, because we can't take it anymore, he writes, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And those words set the stage for what is to come in the next chapter. There is good news. And all is not lost. And and we can live this life in hope. And and we can be more than conquerors. At least that's what Paul says in in, in chapter 8. But until then, I want you to know that this condition, uh, that, that this condition in which we find ourselves is not irreversible. This state in which we find ourselves doesn't have to be permanent. It may feel that way right now. I mean, you may be tired and, and, and discouraged, and that's, that's good. Because it's at this point that you may be ready. At long last, ready to hear about the remedy. The incomparable good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. <coughs> good and and gracious and and loving God, we have become so accustomed to our lives as they are that we think this is normal and expected and, and all there is. Our sin has dulled us to the good news of a better life, a life lived in your presence, a life of joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Remind us once again that you have come among us to offer us something better. And and not just better, but something indescribably good. Make us ready, we pray, to receive that gift. In Christ's name.